Trash Cinema. Hey everybody, welcome to Trash Cinema. This episode we'll be discussing two James Glickenhaus films. Uh, we already discussed The Exterminator on a previous episode, but hey, he has a lot more crazy movies to discuss. I'm your host, Mike, on the other side is Rob. How's it going, Rob? Hello, how are you doing, Michael? <laughs> I am eager to discuss these. He's actually been on my peripheral for a while, and um, sometimes the show is too horror-heavy. I don't know how it always ends up that way. We tried comedy, and guess what? Discussing comedy movies, it just doesn't work. But action movies are <laughs> perfect for this uh, discussion, because there's a lot of crazy action movies out there. Oh, absolutely. The most, the most definitely. You, uh, you and uh, none, none, none more crazier than uh, than Glickenhaus movies. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, like I said, we discussed the Exterminator on a previous episode from last year. Um, you suggested this, and I thought maybe Soldier. And Soldier is just that edge of crazy, but I find it kind of boring. It doesn't have what I'm looking for in the Glickenhaus films. Uh, yeah, um. I, I've gotten that a lot uh, when I've recommended it to people. I've recommended Soldier quite a few times, and uh, I've had a few. Uh, uh, it's a little boring uh, uh, responses to it, and like I mean, uh, I, I I love the Soldier. Like I think the Soldier's like I actually wrote an article on it where I called it the greatest art house action movie ever made. Because <laughs> because it's just it's it's like it's such a like weirdly visual movie i don't even think there's barely any like maybe like 10 lines of dialogue in like the first 15 20 minutes of the entire movie which is weird because ken wall who was being pushed to be a lead at that time is a dialogue heavy guy especially if you've seen wise guy yeah 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 absolutely and then it has Klaus Kinski. So there's a lot of elements there that seem like it would be perfect and maybe i just need to revisit it but i knew i do know that i watched it about 15 years ago and just said they're going man in my head i had something better I didn't realize where mm-hmm. I'd seen footage of this before, and it was in Shakedown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where I first discovered uh, uh, the soldier was uh, that that uh, that scene in uh, Shakedown. But uh, I guess we'll we'll get to that when it yeah. comes up eventually. But um, our first movie is uh, The Protector, and this mm. is when they were pushing Jackie Chan to be a lead in America, and they gave him a couple of shots. I still stand by. Um, what is the first one actually called? I, I've heard I've, I've heard the big brawl. It, it was yeah, it was released as the big brawl in other territories as Battle Creek brawl. Okay. And uh, for some reason or another, now it's just strictly Battle Creek brawl. Like I've only seen it released on like uh, DVD under that title. But uh, I saw it as the big brawl, so that's what I call it. Yeah, this is a I one of the few times I think Joe Bob Briggs um, when he was doing Monster Vision. If I remember correctly, I feel like Friday nights was Monster Vision, and then Saturday nights he hosted a show of just, like, action movies and adventure films that were kind of crazy. And that only lasted a few years, when then they started making cutbacks, and it was just Monster Vision. Am I, did I imagine this? No, 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 you absolutely did not. Um, I remember uh, vividly um, seeing, uh, you, you remember uh, Peacemaker with Robert Forster, the late, great Robert oh, Forster? Oh, yeah, I just watched it a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I the first time I saw that was on uh, Joe Bob Briggs' uh, Monster Vision. Okay, the uh, so that's where I first caught the Big Brawl and uh, the Protector, and I thought uh, the Big Brawl was much crazier. And I think it was in preparation for Rumble the Bronx, which was just about to come out. And of course, they own TNT, mm-hmm. so they're trying to promote some something from him. 
and thinking the projector, the, sorry, the projector, the protector. <laughs> he's a guy who sits in a, a small room showing movies all night long. It's an exciting film. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. The critics agree. It's riveting. <laughs> Actually, you know what? Knowing Jackie Chan, he probably could make a movie out of that using the film reel as like tying people uh, up and uh, kicking them around. <laughs> uh, to, to, totally, totally. I, I could, do, I can actually picture that movie. Jackie Chan in the projector. <laughs> the um, the protector, though, I remember thinking it had a lot of potential, but something was missing. And I didn't know for years that there's two different versions of this movie. And I just watched yes. his edit. Which seems to be the only version really available now is his version, which is infinitely better. Uh, Jackie's version? Yeah. Um, I I actually disagree with that. I actually prefer Glickenhaus' version of the Protector to uh, Jackie's version. Um, with Jackie's version, it's like uh, I almost call it like the the Justice League of Jackie Chan movies because it's like a tale of two movies because it's like you know Glickenhaus has a particular style like, way of doing things, and it does not mesh well with Jackie's style of doing things. So it's just, like, really, like, uh, like, it's like, it's like, just watching the movies, like, watching uh, the, the, the the ping pong scene from Forrest Gump on Fast Forward. Just <laughs> these two, like, like, the two differing styles go back and forth, boom, 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 boom and it's just like, uh I, I prefer Glickenhaus unneutered, you know, saying unfiltered. Yeah, if, if people don't know who he is, he's kind of in the vein of like a Larry Cohen where he's a very independent New York director. He always has kind of a, 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 a I don't know, like a grimy feel to some of his stuff. It feels authentic. Oh, though. yeah. That's yeah. what I'll say. It feels authentic. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like Larry Cohen, but by like like a very, like a more visual. So I, like he, he clearly thinks in pictures, like... His movies are very much like just you know by made by way of images, right? Like like very little dialogue. Like the, the Exterminator is the perfect example of that. The like where that the, you have whole scenes where just go like I think like ten minutes, like uh, where he's making like the mercury tip bullets in the Exterminator, and it's just like ten minutes go on without any words being said at all. That's true. I you know yeah, I, when, when I say Larry Cohen, I guess Larry Cohen. I know people love him, and I know he's made a couple of decent movies, but I do feel like a lot of it, he was not a very visual guy. And, right. you know, what was the other, well, I'm thinking of some other New York directors at the time, like, yeah, William Lustig, you have uh, Frank Henenletter. These guys aren't really visual. They're just, like, these interesting ideas, but they're very slapdash. Glickenhaus, you're right, he is more, um, God, this is so fucking nerd obscure, but do you remember, did you read G.I. Joe comics at all? Mm-hmm. Do you remember at all the arc where it was just focused on Snake Eyes and there wasn't a single word of dialogue? It kind of feels like that. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, yeah, like that, that's a that's a that's a perfect that's a perfect example. It's like uh, um, I I I know uh, for a fact that he he did a he did a movie previous to the Exterminator. I, I forget the the the, um, the name of it. Because uh, I think it had a few different titles in itself, and that um, it was very wordy and dialogue heavy, and uh, he was all time unhappily um, unhappy with the finished product, and he decided that the next movie he was going to do was going to be almost completely free of dialogue, and it was just going to be just more based about uh, visuals, and that was the Exterminator, and I, that obviously worked for him, so he continued on that path, you know, which led to the. Um, 
the the soldier being the, almost the same thing. Um, Protector obviously is more dialogue heavy mm-hmm. than than the previous two. You know, I, I you, you kind of have to do that when you cast Danny Aiello. Right, I was in, thinking in he carries a lot of the weight with the dialogue. Right, it, obviously because Jackie, you know, his English wasn't that great at the time. Um, so, and, and plus, you know, when you cast Danny Aiello, it, it would be a waste not to have him, you know, speak. You know, because w- w- why hire Danny Aiello if you're not going to have him just, just talk? Yeah. Well, the smart thing... And, and to- I was going to say, the smart no, thing... Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, Glickenhoffs uh, knew that he had an international audience that he could sell these <laughs> movies to because they were action-hungry. And the less dialogue, the better, because it means the less time you have to dub and, and you have to focus on, well, should we cut this out, cut this out? Is this necessary for the audience? And right. I, mean, I, I read The Exterminator was a hit and it basically gave him his career for the next 15 years, but I can't find any records of how much it made. So it's probably one of those movies where it just circulated around the grindhouses and drive-ins for a couple of years. And it's hard yeah, to that's, track that's that a, kind of thing. Yeah, that's 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 uh, it, it's yeah because I I um and my my pre-mentioned article about the the soldier I I tried to do some research on the exact number that Exterminator uh the, did in grossing, but um I, I wasn't able to find a concrete number. Yeah. But uh, I know it did it did extremely well on like Forty Second Street, which is the audience he made it for. Right, and the, the, the Protector is the one that's, uh, it was a Golden Harvest deal that they had with Warner Brothers. I think they were previously with Fox, because I know they did Megaforce and uh, Cannonball Run, but Cannonball Run 2 and the Protector, and I think there was something else in there where they had a deal with Warner Brothers, and it's kind of weird that Warner Brothers didn't even give this a shot. Like, they just dumped it in one week on, like, 28 theaters, and that was it. Right, right, right. And, um, see, the, the, the thing with the Protector is, um... It it uh, it was almost like a movie destined to fail because uh, Gold, Golden Harvest I, I guess they saw like the success that Glickenhouse had with the Exterminator and I know they watched a cut of the Soldier and they they were they, they were they were happy with what they saw like the footage they saw and they were like oh this this guy would be great you know to to pair him with Jackie you know what I'm saying because he does stunts and action and you know that that would make a great pairing and it's like. Yeah, no, no. They they both have different ways of filming action sequences, and I think that's where it comes in because Jackie has a very particular way of doing his stuff and has a his unique Mm -hmm. voice, and the two are not similar at all. You know, I I would say Glickenhaus is more of like a blunt hammer when it comes to his action sequences. Also, also, Glickenhaus admitted. He was not a fan of Jackie's style of action. Oh, that's not a good idea. <laughs> yeah, he, he was not. The, um, he admitted that he was more... Uh, see, he grew up in the Grindhouse era, so his guy was like Bruce Lee and uh, Sonny Chiba. Like, he grew up on those guys, like, you know, with more um, straight-to-the-point uh, fighting style. And Jackie's, like, you know, crazy, complex, wacky style of action... He, he just didn't see any kind of like, you know, it like, you know, this wasn't his thing. So if, if you watch it with this mindset, um, it, it actually makes a lot of sense that um, I believe that he, what Glickenhaus was doing with the protective was he was trying to make like the badass cop movie, but he was trying to mold Jackie into like, uh, like the Bruce Lee style like because like for instance there's, there's a scene in the protector where um after the the, the massage parlor fight 
where they're taken into the office and they're talking to the the, the one of the mob bosses that that runs the the place. And uh, they, there's a scuffle when he gets the gun, and um, uh, Jack tells him, uh, "Tell Haruko we're in town. His <laughs> days are numbered." And it's like you, you watch Jackie say it, and it's like uh, that doesn't sound right coming out of this man's mouth. Yeah. But if if you picture like 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 Bruce Lee in the role, it, it makes sense. Well, the funny thing is, I didn't think, I think of Bruce Lee. I thought more of this was a Chuck Norris. I mean, this is when Chuck Norris was a phenomenon. He's the only guy propping up martial arts movies for a while there. It seemed more in vain of what he was doing at the time. Right. And even at that time, Chuck Chuck wasn't really doing uh, martial arts. Like, the martial arts genre by that time, by 1985, was, like, kind of, like, on a down slope because uh, – I mean, you know it's on the downslope when the biggest star in martial arts at that time was Michael Dudikoff. <laughs> or Ralph Macchio, if you want to count that. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Like, you know, like, these are the, these are the biggest stars in the, in the martial arts genre right here, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, um, well, it, it's, with, you see it down the down end. It's weird, I thought the exact opposite because I thought because of Karate Kid, all of a sudden everybody got excited about martial arts movies again because that's when you got The Last Dragon, you got Jim Cotta, American Ninja uh, in this movie. And it's like people were testing, like the smaller companies were testing the waters to see if there was more of an audience there. And it wouldn't kick in until, what, 88 or 89 with Van Damme and Seagal. Right, right, right. The, no, but like, I think with martial arts genre, what happened was it was considered more of like a, like a sub-genre, like nobody really took seriously. Yeah, that's true. So that's why like you you, you, you could get like Michael Dudikoff playing in American Ninja because it's like, eh, who cares? You know, like the, the more... The, the the more serious martial arts ones was like uh, like um, seasonal, but like they would do movies like No Retreat, No Spender, um, King of the Kickboxers, like you know they come over, you know NCU would come over and he make those kind of movies and stuff. And right, like, it's, it's those basically those. Like, I guess you're, what you're talking about, what was popular at the time, was still the imported movies that had to be dubbed. Right, and those are usually thrown into the grindhouses. Yeah, yeah, like the the. The, the martial arts genre didn't really get a kick in the pants until, like, Bloodsport, where then it became, like, it was all over. So I think it, 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 that was, like, for The Protector to come out when it did, you know, with, like, a serious martial artist trying to play, the, you know, the serious badass was kind of, like, the worst time you could have released it. Yeah. I... Also, um, also, Outlaw Vern had a good point. I, I believe he in, in his review, he was, like, like, the movie wasn't ridiculous enough. Like, you had these, like, crazy stunts, but, like, it was released in a time when you had, like, American Ninja, but also Invasion USA and Rainbow First Blood Part Two, where these movies are over-the-top cartoonish, ridiculous. And The Protector is just, like, you know, badass cop takes on drug dealers. Yeah, you know, "Eh." I guess we were coming out of the era because cop movies kind of died off in the early 80s, and that's when, like, oh, we're in Rambo, Schwarzenegger, you know, we have to have these guys who are one army kind of thing. Right, like, you know, the, the, you know, the, 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 was it the the oiled up, shredded uh, Roy Monster, (laughs) the one man army type movies? Yeah, those those were the big things. And it didn't have the comedy that, you know, buddy comedies were just starting to happen because of 48 hours and, like, I think we're just around the corner from running scared and stake out, lethal weapon. And it doesn't have that buddy-buddy camaraderie that everybody was looking for. So it is weird own little beast. And you're right. There's probably no way that this was ever going to be a hit. 
Right. But um with with that being said, like I I, I love the movie. Like I really do. Like for for instance, like, you know, uh it's 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 such a change of pace, like, you know, when when you look at Jackie's movies, you know, and Jackie does the silly comedy. So like it, this was kinda like, you know, I, I did I definitely the first time I saw it was after the success of Rumble in the Bronx. And, uh, you know, like, where everybody started releasing his movies, you know, re-releasing stuff. Like, you know, after Rumble in the Bronx, then you had, like, all his stuff being re-released on video cassette. Right. Well, you remember like, Supercop. Supercop. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was Cop, in theaters. Like, you know, but it was, I remember watching being disappointed because it was more straightforward gun-oriented action, which I wasn't expecting. Right. But I didn't realize he had a whole line of movies, you know, the police story films, that were more like uh, The Protector than it was Rumble in the Bronx. Right, and the 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 the, the, the irony of it all is that he made Police Story as like an answer to the Protector and his disappointment in it, and that you know because that was basically his his one last shot because you know the big brawl Battle Creek brawl failed. Um, the I mean I guess the two Cannonball Run movies were successful, but you know not due to him. Right, and like. The protector was like his final shot in breaking into the American market. When it failed, he was like, "Out of hell with this! I'm going back to, to to Hong Kong." And then he made the protector, the which you know, the, became this whole like you know classic action like thing, which people are still ripping off to this day. You know what's funny is I didn't know who he was when I saw his video game for the Nintendo on the shelf. I was like, "Who the hell is Jackie Chan? Why has he got a game called Spartan X? Who is this guy?" <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't even know about that until, like, a couple years ago. I'm like, Jackie Chan had a game? <laughs> like, holy shit. Like, you know, because it's like, when Rumblewood Bronx came out, you know, it was, um, you know, you think he's the new guy. You know, like, oh, who's this new guy? And then my father was like, oh, I've known about this guy for years, you know. And then, like, you know, you start seeing, like, oh, shit, this guy's been out for, like, years and years and years. You're going all the way to far back you know, to the 70s. And then you realize he, he went so far back to when he got kicked in the face by Bruce Lee and then <laughs> I remember going into the theater and there was a sign on the, the ticket window where it said, Rumble the Bronx is dubbed just be forewarned that it's not uh, originally recorded in English. And a couple of my friends like going, oh, I don't know about dubbing, man. It's usually terrible. And I was like, let's just go see it anyway. And we walked out so happy. But then we're like, where do you find Jackie Chan movies? I don't know where the hell do you find them because nobody had anything. You didn't even have those cheap right. box ones. You remember like they had the public domain ones where you get like six mm-hmm. Jackie Chan movies for like oh, yeah, eight yeah, bucks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you couldn't even find that. Yeah, so we yeah, were yeah. hungry for Jackie Chan movies. Yeah, I think I yeah I, I remember it was it was Jackie Mania after Rumble in the Bronx came out. The and the funny thing is that um you had these these like you know because people are like oh it's his first American hit but like it was his first film to be a hit released in America you know like a, actual American but it wasn't like an actual American production like his first one I think was uh, Rush Hour. Yeah, that's, that's the, the first old, one that was made by an American company because his previous ones were all Golden Harvest, right? Yes, yeah, yeah, because he had a he had a contract with them. Yeah, it's um, so funny the but, road that he's come but, from. Right, but um, and the funny thing is that uh, if you you bring up the protector, he's still bitter about it. Oh. Like he's he's still like he's still insanely bitter. Like you mentioned the protector, he gets just. He just, just gets real, like, agitated. 
He's like, yeah. I, I'm bigger than protector. Uh, I should not be New York cop. Uh, I should, you know, it's all wrong. And and the funny thing is, you contrast it with James Glickenhaus, and he could not care less. Yeah, well, I mean, Glickenhaus has always been an outsider. The guy knew right. um, what the markets were to look for. He made very tightly budgeted action films that he knew would make a profit, except, oddly enough, in The Protector. Uh, well, no, The Protector made a fuck ton of money over in Hong Kong. No one thinks about mm-hmm. that. It made $13 million in Hong Kong. I don't know how that breaks mm-hmm. down if that was converted into American dollars or yen. But... You know, he uh, explored the direct-to-video market. I mean, for years, he was the guy giving us movies like Back in Action and, and uh, uh, Red Scorpion and stuff like that. And right. he knew where the markets were, and he was just a guy who uh, just tried to make very tightly budgeted, entertaining action films. And yes, the critics usually don't like them, and sometimes they're ridiculous, like McBain. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Shoot through a window there in the middle of the sky. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, the, the the laws of physics are McBain's bitch. Yeah, I've never seen Slaughter of the Innocents or Time Master, but I, I haven't heard good things. Uh, Sla- Slaughter of the Innocents was like his attempt to be a little bit more classy per se, like um, like he was trying to do a serious like Silence of the Lambs type thriller. And okay. it's like, I haven't seen it in years, but so I can't really call heads and tails of it about it now because I don't remember a thing about it. Yeah, well, the but, problem um, is most yeah, of these like, are lost because he had a distribution deal with Universal, but only for like 20 years. And then, it, you know, I don't know who owns the rights now. Synapse, I think, right. maybe? Because um, uh, I, I know they have Red Scorpion and they have Frankenhooker. Right, right, right. And, um... And that's a damn shame too, because he he had a lot of uh, on the Shapiro Glickenhaus. He he released a, a shit ton of great movies, like I said, Red Scorpion. Um, huge fan of the Roddy Roddy Piper and uh, Billy Blank's double feature, Back in Action and Tough and Deadly. Oh, so, so yeah, yeah, I was a big fan of Tough and Deadly. I like I, I like Tough and Deadly a lot. Like I I used to I think I ran that videotape out <laughs> of uh, Tough and Deadly because I was a huge fan of Roddy Piper and I like Billy Blanks too. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I, I was a big fan of uh, Billy Blanks and uh, Showdown. Remember that joint Showdown? I have not seen Showdown. Yeah. I saw it in the MVD sale and I almost picked it up. But I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna wait till next year's sale and try to pick up a bunch more because you had to hit a certain <laughs> level to get free shipping and handling. I was like, damn it, I don't want all these movies. <laughs> right, Showdown is great though. Showdown is basically like. Uh, like a lot of people say, like it's um a karate, excuse me, it's a karate kid ripoff, and it essentially is. But then it's like you look at like something like Never Back Down, and everybody's saying that's a karate kid ripoff, and it's like it's more a showdown ripoff than anything yeah, else. Yeah, both. I mean, I really love Never Back Down. But um, before we steer too far, of course, there's a there's somewhere in here a good episode about Imperial Entertainment. They offered us so many good movies. Um, oh yeah, 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 yeah! I look for that logo, that little eye and sight and an angle, or whatever. But um, oh, you know what's funny is I remember in SJE that was the label they had, Shapiro Glickenhaus, and it had that little palm mm-hmm. tree. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it looked, it looked like something out of Miami Vice. But before he did any of that, he did try to go legit one other time, and that was with Shakedown, and yes. uh, that that was actually really profitable, especially on video. And I think that's why Universal made a deal with him because they're like, look, this guy makes things um, that clearly have very little overhead and they make us tons of money and we just put these on video and we're good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 most definitely. Glickenhouse is a smart guy. Like, he, like, he, he was a smart guy when he came to making movies. 
Like, um, and to show, to, 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 to try to point out how smart he is, Shakedown is a movie that absolutely 100% should not work because it is so many things. It is the, almost the definition of everything but the kitchen sink. Yeah, it is because a like, plot. Yeah, it is. It's like a courtroom drama. It's a romantic drama. It's a police procedural film. Uh, and it's an over-the-top action movie all in one. Yeah, well, and you also and have a buddy it, cop element. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The buddy buddy cop, like, all those, like, just, just genres and shit thrown together, and it works 100% despite itself, you know? Yeah. How just is it that nobody has ever used Peter Weller correctly outside of RoboCop? I mean, he's done a couple decent movies. I like Leviathan a lot, but it, how is this dude not held up higher in better profile films. Right, right, right. Um, what's crazy is that, you know, like like you like you mentioned before, like what you just mentioned, um, the, like the pinnacle of his success would be RoboCop, even though, like, you know, he's had uh, great movies outside of it, you know, like you said, Leviathan. Um, Buck Rubon's Eye. I swear unknown. by Firstborn. I swear by it. It's a great movie that turns into uh, a hell of an action I was, I was so... I was so glad when when you when you mentioned that like I saw you mention it online about Firstborn I'm like I'm I'm not the only person who's seen this movie someone <laughs> else has seen it like like Firstborn is great and he's great in it like, oh yeah it's like, a, he, if you guys haven't seen Firstborn it starts off as a like a divorcee uh, coming of age a, a drama and it has this mm-hmm. flip halfway through and Peter Well is responsible for the flip and it turns into one. Right. Unbelievably well-made action sequences at the end, and it's just pulse pounding because it's the build-up, and that's why it matters so much more. It's free, I believe, on um, Hulu right now. Oh yeah, 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 yeah! I saw it on there. I saw it on there, and I was like, "Holy shit! They got Firstborn." Yeah, which was out of print forever. Yeah, yeah, and then and then it's like I remember um, I, was, I was showing my roommate and like the cast, and it was like like. Holy shit! Like all these names: you Terry Gar, Peter Weller, uh, Corey Haim, Barbara Downey Jr., Sarah Jessica Parker, right, and directed and by Michael Apted. Absolutely, like it's like this. That was like just production. Yeah, you know, and then it's just like nobody, nobody knows about it but us two. Yeah, it's it's so good, but um, yeah, then of course he had Buckaroo Bonds out of the same year, but then he kind of just, you know, both those movies tank, so he kind of floated around. Did RoboCop, and I think. I feel like Shakedown he was already signed for but by the time Robocop came out because unless it was a really fast production. But after that, a lot of independent companies started signing him. You know, Abel Farrell got off the Cat Chaser, he did Robocop Two. He did fifty fifty. If you've seen that with Robert Hayes, that's a fun little action. Oh, movie. I love fifty fifty. <laughs> I love fifty fifty. But um this I think the first time where he really tried a buddy thriller kind of thing going. And he is an attorney who uh, is representing a crack dealer who is set up for murdering a cop. Um, what is right? He's a he's a he's a public defender, like uh, um, who uh, he's assigned. Like you know, it's 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 one of those like every everyday cases for him. Like you know, the, the defending the the crack dealer, and he's like ah whatever, and then it just snowballs into the into this big conspiracy with the with the blue jean cop, which is the original title. Which I didn't know for years. Well, my friend Nick Clement brings this up, and I'm like, what in the hell is Blue Jean Cop? Because I feel like there's another movie called Blue Jean Cop from the 70s that is an Italian film with Jack Palance, but I could be wrong. Cop in Blue Jeans or something like that. 
Right. Um, that was actually his original title, and I think it's known around the world as Blue Jean Cop, except in America where it's known as Shakedown. Which, because I don't uh, think that, I, that's a catcher title. I mean, and a lot of it, of course, has to do with the, the Bob Seger song from uh, Beverly Hills Cop right. too. It has to be. Which, 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 weirdly enough, they did not use. Right. I guess by that point, it was like it became too synonymous with uh, Beverly Hills Cop too. So they yeah. were like, ah, screw it. They ended up using uh, what did they use for the? Um, they used uh, Jimi Hendrix "Purple Haze" for the, the trailer, and it's like, oh, you know, you shake down, but like, you know, you can't do uh, you can't do worse than uh, Jimmy Jimi Hendrix. No. So it it all works. It, 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 both of them are burnt out. Sam Elliott's a burnout cop. Uh, Peter Weller's ready to retire from that world because he's burnt out on it. And this this case makes them discover their passion for justice again. And I thought right. that no one talks about that. They always talk about the crazy action sequences, but it's a lot of a metaphor about aging. Mm-hmm. Like just, just, just you know, knowing when to call it quits. And it's like it's it's, it's actually for both of them because uh, Richie Marks, the the Sam Elliott character, the, the great great Sam Elliott, uh, uh, Richie Marks, he's like like you mentioned, the burnt out cop. When we first see him, uh, he's he's sleeping in the theater, watching the soldier. <laughs> The the, the, the the infamous ski scene in uh, the soldier, and uh, he's just he's just like at, at the lowest point he could possibly be, you know. But like 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 Weller through this case, he, he I guess he gets the the, the energy to uh, you know realize his like you know he, to, to, what I'm trying to say is like you know to find the cop he used to be right. You know, and uh, it, I, I love how like it culminates in that uh, the, the scene at Coney Island where, where he gets attacked by the, the, the two muggers. Like, oh, I know what you're thinking. You're young and you're fast, and I'm old and slow. <laughs> you know, and it's just it's just it's just like it, it's a perfect analogy for like where his character is, is going at that point, yeah. which uh, ends perfectly with the. With the with the the fight on the the cyclone and it's like how how the hell how did they do that by the way that is real it? isn't it that's a real roller coaster yes. crashing there's no way that's yeah. miniatures no 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 they did that for real and that's what I was about to say it's like that's the like the the, the beauty about shakedown is like the, the action sequence is like how the hell did they how the hell did they get permission to do some of the shit that they're doing right like. The, the scene that, that leads into the chase where, like, he's climbing down the pole, one of the theaters on 42nd Street, and it falls, and, and like, de- and this is dead in the middle of 42nd Street. This is not, like, like a like a, uh, a block they made up to kind of look like 42nd Street. This is 42nd Street, and they have him, like, falling down on the pole in the middle of it all. And it's like, like, how the hell is like... You could never have have that done. Oh no, now. the costs in New like, York are so high now. You can't even film there. But that was a thing. Remember in the seventies and eighties, and no one wanted to film there, so it was super cheap. And that's why all these grindhouse movies just exploded for a couple decades. And then all of a sudden, in the nineties, it's all I love New York, and it's, it's all of a sudden you know rates went insane. So everybody started shooting in Toronto and Philly and other stuff, pretending to be New York. Mm-hmm. Right. The, the the worst one was uh, the 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 Incredible Hulk with a. Uh, Edward Norton and uh, the final battle take place on a uh, 125th Street. Then being a native New Yorker, it's like, 
Who, 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 who are they kidding? Yeah, well, I mean, you mentioned Rumble in the Bronx earlier, remember? They're supposed to be set in New York, and yet, uh, well, what are those mountains from? Why do I, why am I looking at mountains? Right, <laughs> right, right. right. The, 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 it was, it was, you know, it, great movie, but it's just hilarious to look at this, and it's like, they really believe, they tried to pass this off as the Bronx. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Shakedown, like, um, the, the other sequence, I thought there was a lot of tension in this. The scene where he's coming out of the courthouse, and the cops are there waiting for him, because um, there's a whole plot about oh, you know crazy. dirty cops and, and corruption mm-hmm. or whatever, and they're going around in circles, you know, with their batons smacking or whatever, looking at him, not saying a word, and they just disappear. That is a super scary scene. Oh, that is that is that, that scene ex- exceptionally done. The, um, just just the way it's like it's almost like the Palma is in in the way like in the camera movements, and uh-huh. the style and the staging of it all. It's 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 just, it's just like. I think that was probably, you know, the, um, the, the I, I would say the peak Glickenhaus and shit, as far as, like, filmmaking goes, is that one scene right there. Like, Shakedown in itself is probably, like, the best um, Glickenhaus has ever been as a filmmaker, yeah. if you ask me. I wish they'd like, just as given... as far as not just... If they'd give him just a little okay. bit more to finish that that plane sequence, because that is oh, shaky. <laughs> yeah, like, like, um... Uh, I, w- I would rather not uh, talk about the plane scene, but whatever. <laughs> whatever I'll get into it. it it's, it's the, the problem is, is that he didn't have to do that. Like it, it's almost like um, when I think about like how eventually, like like the well in, in context um, uh, for, for the listeners, uh, Peter Weller is driving <laughs> Sam Elliott to catch a plane where the bad guys are trying to get away. So he jumps on the landing gear and the plane takes off, and it's just this. It, incredibly awful green screen shots of Sam Elliott like sitting on the landing shooting at the the, the engines trying to bring the plane down and number one the, the it's it's awful it's just, it looks really bad number two why is the landing gear still down right that they're long flying. it's so insane <laughs> like they're literally in midair flying through New York and the landing gear still down and 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 three the the my ultimate point is he really didn't have to do that. Like, like I said, it was, it's almost like, what was it that Jeff Goldblum said in, in, in Jurassic Park? Like, you were so preoccupied whether or not you could, you didn't stop to think whether or not you should. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it, 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 that's how you got to look at it. It's like, you, you didn't have to do that. You, you, just because you could doesn't mean you should have because it looks awful. You could have literally just put a blue background with like like some some smoke and shit to simulate clouds and just did a close up of him shooting and it would have sufficed. You didn't have to use this because it completely takes you out of the sequence. Like because it's it's you know for otherwise like just perfect movie like that was it's just like oh. It's, it does seem like every single Glickenhaus movie has that one moment, though, where you're like, no, 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 why, why didn't anybody stop you? Why didn't anybody stop you from doing this? Please. <laughs> right, right. They're like, why, 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 why would you do that? Why, why? But here's the thing, though. Um, Think about this. I almost wonder if subconsciously it was done on purpose, because if you take these crazy sequences out of all of his movies, are they still talked about in the same way, or are they mostly forgotten? Absolutely. You're absolutely right about that one. Yeah, it's 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 a shame uh, that he doesn't direct anymore. I think his last movie was Time Master in '95, and I don't know what he's doing. Um, he uh, I actually um met him at a screening of the Exterminator. The, what? There's an Alamo. 
Yeah, there's an Alamo Draft House about like 20 minutes away from me, and I, I son I, of a I, bitch, I, where do you live? I'm moving there. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I practically lived there, and they they had a, a screening of um, the Exterminator, which he showed up to, and uh, someone someone uh, a bunch of us asked him questions at, after the screening, and somebody asked him, you know, uh, about whether or not he would come back, and he was like, only if he had. A story to tell. He doesn't want to just come back just to make a movie. He wants to come back if there's a, a story. He has a few in his head that he doesn't know yet. So it's, it's the kind of like uh, we'll see. Yeah. You know, well, hopefully he saved but, his um, money. I mean, those movies had to have made it. I mean, oh, especially oh, the direct video this, stuff. This is this is this is no. This is this is the kicker. Um, I actually uh, uh, um, I, I I asked him a question in the theater. I asked him about what he thought about the quality of action in today's day and age, and he was just like, eh, sucks. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, uh, I bumped into him in the, the parking lot, and uh, I was able to, to, to talk with him for five minutes, you know, like five, ten minutes. He was very gracious with his time. He's like, he's extremely humble, cool dude. You know, like, like I even I took a picture with him. Like, uh, when you po- when you post this episode, I'll, I'll post it in the comments so everybody knows what the picture I'm talking about. Okay. Um, but, um, after that, after that night, I did my research, like, yeah, what is, what's he doing now? Because, you know, he, you know, he seemed cool, you know what I'm saying? And, um, he's, he's a hedge fund manager. That's what he's, when he quit, um, doing, uh, movies, like he, like his father was like in hedge funds and like Wall Street and stuff. So he just, you know, went to, back into the family business or whatever. Okay. And, um. The man is worth two hundred million dollars. Jesus Christ! Just, ah, he can make all the movies he wants. Hold on a second. Is he responsible for Toys R Us going down? Because then he's my mortal enemy. <laughs> <laughs> I know those hedge fund guys ruined Toys R Us. <laughs> right. I don't. I, I, honestly, I don't even think he he does that anymore. What he does is he builds um, sports cars. That's his passion. Cool. And he has a bunch of like um, sports car like businesses and stuff like like you know race cars like you know like just uh like top of the line stuff like one of his cars costs like uh like a million dollars you know like and that's what he does now with his time like you know he's into the race car business and it's like uh i i stood next to over 200 million dollars and i a picture with him. <laughs> well, I mean, at least this it, way, just, he, he didn't like, phone it in. A lot of great directors end up just doing TV shows, and it's nowhere near mm-hmm. the same medium. You're telling other people's stories, and that's how they end their career, and it's kind of a bummer. At least he knew he got out when he wanted to get out, and, and people think, oh, you're not making movies anymore. You were a filmmaker. You're a failure. No. It's just a small chunk of your life sometimes. Right. He When he said, like, when we were talking about um, earlier about um, him... Uh, in the director video business, what he he actually touched upon that um, at the screening, and he said that it just stopped being fun because he kind of got um, categorized as director video schlock action guy, okay. and he was trying he was trying to do bigger budgeted stuff, but like they he kept getting offers to do like you know schlocky low budget action and shit, and he was like. You know, all his stuff got categorized like that, and it just, you know, it just stopped being fun for him. And he was like, you know what, um, I'm just, I'm just going to get out, you know. He said, and like, you know, at that time, it was the right time to get out of the business anyway, you know what I mean? Because, you know, those kind of things became dime a dozen. But um, 
it's nice to know that he he quit not because he he wasn't you know he didn't work he quit because he wanted to, and it's not like you know he, there's a need for it. So if he comes back, he comes back if he wants to, not because he has to. Okay, yeah, that's but good. But I would, I would, I would, I would love to see him come back and just like give us one big, you know, you know, orange fireball explosion heavy movie. Because <laughs> yeah. because I, I that's one of my favorite things. But I love the way the man shoots explosions. He he really loves those slow motion explosions. Yeah, and he probably shoot it on film instead of digital without this chop, uh, chop, chop, chop editing, which drives me nuts. Fucking uh, um, Born Identity ruined action movies, even though it's a good movie. It ruined how action movies are filmed. That, that That's actually the question I asked him. I, I, I asked him, I asked him, like, you know, the, you know, because of, like, his, his tendency to shoot, you know, slow, uh, sporadic, you know, action, you know what I'm saying, crystal clear visuals. How does he feel about, you know, the quick cutting and the shaky cam? It's like, eh. He said he, he, he's, he's not a big fan of it, nor is he a big fan of, like, CGI, you know, heavy stuff. He said you can have a guy jump off the top of the, the, the Statue of Liberty and land on the ground, you know. And it's just like, eh. He said, like, you know, the way I did action, I like to call it faction, factual action. You know, that was my style. And then in my head, I'm thinking... You had uh, Sam Elliott hanging <laughs> off the landing gear shooting at an uh, uh, airplane, but uh, I see what you're saying, James. <laughs> well, we all have flaws, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, 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 can, we all can't be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that brings us to the end of this episode. Anything you want to plug before we go? Um, uh, sure. Like, you know, as I, uh, like I said last episode, um, my blog, cinemadrunkie.wordpress.com. Um, you can find my stuff at uh, Ultimate Action Movie Club, uh, Ultimate Action Movies UAMC, as well as ActionFlix.com. I'm also spearheading um, a top uh, uh, 50 action movies of the decade um, between uh, uh, five different websites, which would be evolved with uh, the Action Elite, uh, Action Flix, Bulletproof Action, Film Combat Syndicate, and uh, Ultimate Action Movie Club. Uh, we're all taking part in this. Top 50 action movies of the decade list. Um, a lot of people contributing. Um, Do you, you get know, to a lot vote? Of good writers and stuff. Huh? Do you get to vote, or is all like you guys talk about it? Like, yeah, like, yeah, like uh, we tried that, and nobody really contributed. So, like, we, we, you know, we just got a bunch of us together, you know, put together like, our list and stuff, okay. and then just like kind of melding them from there, like how what we feel like. I mean, it's more like it's the contributors, but like I brought a little outside help. Uh, I got. Um, uh, cult movie uh, uh, filmmaker actor uh, Len Kapazinski in there. Shout out to Len. The uh, uh, Chad Law um, writer of um, Oh I know. Oh, he's a regular on this. He's a regular on our podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's great. He's great. He's an awesome dude. Um, shout out to him. Like you know, I know he's a busy guy, but like he 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 went he contributed to it as well. So shout yeah. out to him. Um, shout out to uh, action to everybody at action elite and. Action Flicks and Bulletproof Action, especially Chris at Bulletproof Action, who was a big help. And uh, a big special, special thanks to Lee Golden at Film Combat Syndicate. He was, you know, big, uh, big help to me. I can't thank him enough. And Jordan at uh, Ultimate Action Movie Club, you know, it, uh, you know, I can't, I can't thank these guys enough and shit for helping me put this thing together, you know, and contributing their time. So, but yeah, that's the big thing I have going on right now is uh, that list. 
it should be it should be out by January because I want to give um I want to give uh, uh uh like a chance for If Mom Four because If Mom Four is the last big action movie of the of the decade to be released. Uh-huh. So I want to give that a chance to get on the list. So um the list will be coming out in January. Okay. I, I'm a huge fan of Sinners and Saints, and I hope it makes somebody's list. <laughs> oh, 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 I love Sinners and Saints. I love Sinners and Saints I think so we've been much. robbed of years of good Johnny Strong movies. The dude's only been in like three movies in the last decade. It's kind of a bummer. I, I was just having a conversation about that, and it's like, um, I think uh, uh, me and a uh, buddy, uh, Cameron, uh, Cameron Sullivan, he's a good guy, the uh, great awesome dude, he, um, we were having a conversation about why Johnny Strong is not in more movies because he's perfectly capable, like, you know, great actor, great action star, you know. Cinders and Saints proves just that, you know, as well as uh, his uh, his other film, William Kaufman, uh, Daylight's End. Yes, uh, amazing movie. Yeah, 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 like, um, and it's like, damn, like, why isn't he in more movies? Because he's perfect. I guess he makes knives, and, and they're really popular with a certain audience, and, and also he does, he's a musician, so he doesn't really have to act that much. He picks he picks and chooses what projects he wants to do, because action movies have changed now. Budgets are getting tighter and tighter, and shooting days are lower and lower, and it's hard to get quality out of that. When you find out an action movie shot for 13 days, you're like, what the fuck? And how much did it cost? Right, right. $1.8 million. And this is from a studio? These marine movies or whatever, you find out that they cost like $1.5 million. I'm like, I know movie movies are now cheaper than TV episodes, people. And it's weird when there's explosions and fight sequences. Right, absolutely. Um, perfect example, um, Len Kabazinski, uh, his, his uh, last movie, Challenge of Five Bullets, which is a... Uh, uh, an amazing movie. I wrote. A, I, I recently wrote a review about that. Why I call it the Citizen Kane of low budget independent martial arts movies, because it, it really is. And uh, he shot that over 21 days for less than ten thousand dollars. Whoa! And it's just right. And it's it's, it's extraordinary what this man pulled off. Like that amount of time with that amount of money. You know, if you watch the movie, it's, I, I I implore you to watch the movie. The movie's great. And uh, just to think that he only had that little bit amount, you know what I'm saying, that little bit amount of time and shit, is it, just extraordinary. Have you ever seen a movie called Wild Style? Oh. Uh, the graffiti movie from like 83? Yes, 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 yes. yes so yes, that yes, director yes. and those kids, apparently after they got it, the movie done, they had extra money left over and they shot a martial arts epic, which only ever played festivals. It's never been a video. I want to find this movie. You know what it's called? No, I have to look it up, but I just heard about it on a podcast about an hour ago, and they, they said, and I'll look it up to the director or whatever, and they said they shot it with ever, I think they had like $23,000 left over from the budget, and they just spent like the next month shooting a crazy kung fu epic. Right. See, it, it, those are the guys you should give all the money to. The guys who have the, the least amount of money, and they just make gold with it, you know. The, those, those are the guys that should be getting the big budget movies. It's a damn shame, like, you know, how like... You know these, these these filmmakers and actors and stuff are floundering. Oh uh, God! Like, you know. The fact that Bruce Willis still gets a million dollars a day to fucking phone it in makes me sick. Knowing that there's actors out there who <laughs> and think about it, if he shoots for three days on these movies and you watch them, you're like, you shot this in Canada. You have like uh, a mid level guy like Cole Hauser or Frank Grillo or somebody like that, and you shot it in the woods. Mm-hmm. That probably cost you a million dollars. So you're telling me that three quarters that's, of the budget went to three days on on Bruce Willis, who doesn't give a shit. That's fucking annoying. 
Right, like that's that's the grindhouse. Uh, the, I mean, grindstone uh, Lionsgate premiere. That's their whole thing. Like, get a nondescript uh, white male lead, uh, either uh, Bruce Willis, uh, Fifty Cent, John Cusack, or uh, Jonathan Sheck. Um, you get either Stephen C. Miller, who's who's a fine filmmaker by the way, or Brian A. Miller, and then you know that's that that's their whole model right there. Yeah, I don't understand that thing because it's made for an international audience. It isn't made for us anymore where we're looking for, right. you know, it's like, oh, well, we covered our bases by pre-selling this movie. And that's not the way the movies were made. Canon Pictures, as much as I love them, they kind of change things that way, and I, I don't particularly care for it. Right, absolutely. Uh, I'm looking I, this up right I, now. I totally Director, it was called The Deadly Art of Survival. Oh, no, it was actually shot four years before, so I misheard the story. The Deadly Art of Survival. From 1979, it's an hour and 17 minutes. Martial arts instructor struggles against drug dealers operating from a rival karate school called the Disco Dojo. We gotta find this fucking movie. <laughs> oh my god, that sounds amazing. That sounds fucking amazing. Alright, I'm gonna look around for this one. But otherwise, I don't know what our next episode will be, but there's plenty we found in this episode. Maybe a Billy Blanks episode, maybe a Roddy Roddy Piper, maybe both. Oh, that, 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 <laughs> that, that, that'd be perfect, that'd be perfect. Uh, are we be ready, um... Uh, so the deeds of it uh, in this episode, so the, that, would, that would be a perfect uh, next episode. All right, everybody, check us out on Facebook under uh, Video Nice. This is the uh, spinoff. Obviously, Trash Cinema is coming to an end, but we still got about 12 episodes left, so I'm pretty sure me and Rob have something else fun uh, in store for you. I don't know why I'm saying us uh, so much. I guess Absolutely. you're getting tired. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody, have a good night.